Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Damn, another one snuck up on us. Yes, it, is it a did. Thursday edition of Birds 365. I'm just sitting here shooting the breeze with my buddy, my partner, Mac and Mac guys, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. How are you, J-Mac? Uh, doing well. Did sneak up on us, Jody. Trying to get all the notes together, prepared. A lot of, you know, that's the NFL. People think it's a downtime. It's not a downtime, no. man. It never ends. But that's why we're here. It is uh, 365, as they like to say. Uh, and the NFL has done a very good job of creating just that so they can stay in the headlines uh, all days of the year and give us content all days of the year. Here on Birds 365, we got a lot to get into today, including two good guests. And I got to give you props. Uh, you got Dr. Jessica Flynn to join us today. Uh, she's a known sports uh, doctor who works out of Boston, but uh, does a lot of work with NFL players and teams and the like. And yes, the Eagles made a very key selection in the second round with Landon Dickerson, who comes with, uh, I, I want to get away from using the term red flags, but it is pretty damn accurate. I uh, just say medical questions for Landon Dickerson. Who knows? Maybe he overcomes all of them. Hopefully, uh, Dr. Jessica can uh, give us some insight to that. But that was a uh, good, fun booking that we've got coming. And Adam Kaplan, a guy who both you and I know quite well. We know Birds fans uh, know as well, um, who's been covering the Eagles and his uh, Birds podcast inside the Birds uh, that he does with Jeff Mosher. is uh, very well received here in this town. Looking forward to talking to Adam Kaplan today. So we got two good guests coming your way. And once again, let me remind you, we are now less than a week from the schedule reveal. The NFL has, again, give them credit. They understand the business. They have made a day that you can circle on your calendar for the release of the schedule. For years, we were able to do this without it being that big a deal. And it was just something that the NFL released in its usual media ways. Didn't have an entire day dedicated to it <laughs> on the NFL network like next Wednesday will be. Well, we here at uh, Jacobs Media as well is going to have a big day. We're going to have a live broadcast. The schedule release is for 8 o'clock next Wednesday night. That will be the time we'll give our, our first big giveaway. 10 Devonta Smith jerseys, number six in green, coming up while we're doing the show. There'll be a live broadcast starting right around 8 o'clock, maybe before, uh, during the schedule release, and we'll give away all 10 of the jerseys then. So if you're watching us via YouTube, if you linked in on phillyvoice.com, that sends you to the YouTube channel, make sure you're back here next Wednesday during the big reveal because you got a chance to win a Devonta Smith jersey. Will that be the unquestioned number one selling jersey this year for the Eagles, Johnny Mac? Oh, I, yeah, it has to be, doesn't it? I mean, I... I... I still think you have some Jalen Hurts uh, possibilities because it's the quarterback, really. First year as, a, as the unquestioned starter. So I do think you'll have a little bit of push because of the natural sort of importance of that position. But 
first round pick, Heisman Trophy winner, number six. Same, you know, you got the number changes from the NFL's perspective, so he gets to wear the same number he had in, in college, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of Devontae Smith jerseys around. But they're expensive. You can get one for free. We're giving away Big. 10. Jacob Media Sports YouTube. Subscribe. Very good sales job by you. Speaking of which, um, I think we touched on this when they came out with that uh, story about uh, allowing players at certain positions to get numbers, uh, different numbers going forward. Um, while I sing, sit here and sing the praises of the NFL on how they market their product as well as they do. Yeah, that one just annoyed the snot out of me because it was such an obvious money grab to get the dedicated, uh, well-heeled individuals to go out and just buy another jersey. Well, I got to get my player jersey because he's got a new number, so I got to lay out the money for another jersey. And some people have to scrimp and save to be able to do that, and others just uh, run it up on the Amex. It's not a problem. Uh, yeah. That was so blatantly obvious it, it annoyed me greatly that the uh, NFL would go somewhere along that line. And here's one thing I know we didn't talk about, and I just want to get your take on that. Here's what I didn't know, because they didn't announce it right away. When they announced the fact that you could get your new number, if you were number 87 as a wide receiver, you could now be number seven. Uh, I put two and two together and came up with money grab. And then they <laughs> added fuel to the fire that they expected the players. Yeah, that's what I was going to they wanted to change yeah. the yeah. number to buy all the non-sold jerseys yeah. that were still sitting around with the old number. Excuse huh. me? You're yeah. going to ask the players to do that? Oh, you're doing such a good thing. We want them to be able to express themselves. And if they were in college, they should wear it. They should feel comfortable doing it. And oh, by the way, get the checkbook out because we're going to ask you to pay for all the unused jerseys. And a bunch of players came out and said, you know, I would have changed my number, but they're not getting me to write a check like that. Some yeah. did. Some actually said, oh, I got to have this number. What, what, how much do I have to write the check for? And it just was such an unmitigated money grab. It annoyed the snot out of me. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. That's the part. I'm glad you brought that up. That's the part that bothered me. I'm not a numbers guy. I don't care. I say it all the time. Uh, I don't care what number. Now, historic players, it kind of takes over. I say number six in Philadelphia. I think Julia's serving. You know, that kind of takes on a life of its own. Average player, I don't care. I, I don't care what number people get really into it. I don't care what color the jerseys are. I just don't care. It's just not my thing. So when they change the rule, I'm like, eh, who cares? I agree with you. It's a money grab. No question about it. Merchandising. You look at the Washington football team. The only reason they don't have a name right now is because they wanted to, to take two bites at the apple. Sure. So you can get people to watch, buy Washington football team gear. And then you come up with a new name and you got a double hit on the revenue stream. It's always about the money. Going back to Michael Jordan, LeBron James, changing jersey number. Always about the money. That's where this started. And now you have a chance to do it in the NFL. But I agree with you. When they told the players, oh, you could change your number. But, you know, we got this all this unused inventory. If you want to change it, you, you can wait a year. Otherwise, you got to buy out the existing inventory. So, yeah, I'm with you. That was classless. For a $13 billion industry, 
that wants to turn into a $25 billion industry and is on its way there with the new TV deals. Right. That is awful. Right. Awful. The, the TV wasn't going to add enough to your bottom line. You had to also hit up your own players. That's yeah. just not good. And one quick aside, you mentioned all those NBA guys who changed their number. I will say this, and uh, we know that uh, we lost Kobe Bryant tragic way that we lost him. Um, at least Michael Jordan retired and came back. There was a reason to change his numbers. Numbers yeah. already yeah. up in the rafters. LeBron James went to a new team. There was a reason to change his numbers. Okay, Kobe changed his number because he could, yeah. uh, because he never left yeah. the Lakers. There was no big reason to change his jersey number. But he did, and God bless everyone who had both of Kobe's jerseys if you felt you had the need to spend that money. All right, uh, we were talking about quarterback, J-Mac, and I want to get your take on this. Coming into this year, Mr. Hertz has, I don't want to say a target on his back. That's the wrong phrase for it. But uh, we, we all seem to agree that this is a one-year major test. Now, it's one full year. If the Eagles had taken a quarterback, it wouldn't have even have been that in the draft. They didn't even draft one. They waited till after the draft was over. Got Jamie Newman, who most people think should have been drafted. So they did well. I give Howie Roseman a lot of credit yeah. on that one. The quarterback position, as much of a factory as it is, they didn't overplay it by actually using a draft pick on one. They got the best available quarterback in the undrafted class after the fact, by getting Jamie Newman. So give them credit for that. But they had the chance to draft Justin Fields. They said, thank you, no. Um, so this is Jalen Hurts' team for the 2021 upcoming season. 2022, TBD, to be determined. Uh, so Jalen Hurts is a guy who's got to kind of prove himself this year. You've got other teams in the same mix. Certainly the 49ers with... Uh, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is auditioning to be the 49ers quarterback this year. I think he's auditioning for all the other teams in the National Football League. Have a big year. Stay healthy. Eventually, Trey Lance. They used the third pick of the draft on him. You know he's mm -hmm. going to become the quarterback of the 49ers at some point. Uh, the Giants with Daniel Jones. This one we could probably debate a little bit because some people think that Jones is going to be there for the next five, six, seven years. I think if he has a lousy year, which would be my evaluation heading in. Despite I know the, that. Despite the uh, fact that the Giants have upgraded the weapons on it. I'm just not yeah. a fan. I thought he was overdrafted. I know he had some good games and he looked, he had just as many bad games and he's a turnover waiting to happen. I'm not a Daniel Jones fan. I think the Giants are going to go down that road. I think the chances of the Eagles staying with Jalen Hurts are better than the Giants staying with Dan Daniel Jones, but that's just the general, general manager in me. And then you got the Pats and the Bears, which you know a change is coming at some point. I guess it's more like the Garoppolo thing, although I don't think Andy Dalton is a long-term answer for anyone in the league, and I'm not sure Cam Newton is either. They're two different situations. One is guys trying to grab the job, hold the job, keep the job, like here in Philadelphia and in New York. And then there's the, yeah, I'm going to try and do it for myself this year, more than any other team, because I'm going to be elsewhere. One year on a contract yeah. uh, looks like they're going to be replaced in short order. <laughs> Which is more likely to get the better results? Is there a difference? Because there's an argument to be made for those who know full well at some point they're not going to be with this team anymore. Not a lot of pressure. That they're almost playing with house money. 
I got the gig. It's my gig to do what I want with it. If I do well, I'll get another gig somewhere else. But what can I do? I'm, I know I'm going to be replaced as compared to, yeah, I want this job. I want to keep this job. I want to stay right here. Uh, that's give you a little bit feeling of more comfort that you don't have to use, which is a tougher situation. If you've got a quarterback that's on a kind of make or break it type year, one that is leaning toward going elsewhere or one that hopefully is going to stay. <clears throat> Well, personally, I think the best situation is to be on a good team. And the best situation is Jimmy Garoppolo because, Jody, common sense. But if you keep winning, they're not taking you off the field. Uh, there's a few exceptions. If, you know, you're winning games 10 to 3 in the modern NFL, they might consider right. it. You go back to Alex Smith. Alex Smith kept winning games for the 49ers. They ultimately said, yeah, but we have this ceiling we're going to try Colin Kaepernick. So it's rare, uh, but it happens. I look at that San Francisco team now. Remember, you typically when you're picking third, you stink. You're picking third for a reason. They traded up, number one. They weren't at the number three spot to begin with. They were at number 12. Um, then secondly, you look at that team coming off the Super Bowl. What, what was the difference? Really, the difference, they had a ton of injuries, but the key, the really key injury was Nick Bosa. I mean, I don't think people realize how good he was when in that run towards the Super Bowl. Their defensive front was absolutely dominant, and he was the last piece of the puzzle to it. He was just unblockable in their run toward the Super Bowl. He got hurt. He's going to be back next season, obviously. We'll see if he's the same. As you mentioned, we're going to have Dr. Jessica Plant on. Injuries can have a big impact on people's careers. But if Nick Bosa is Nick Bosa, all of a sudden the 49ers are, are really good defensively again. And you say to yourself, you know, Trey Lance, number three overall pick, typically, typically there is so much pressure on a coaching staff to get a, a top five pick into the lineup. Well, that's because typically a top five pick is on a bad football team. You keep losing with the bridge quarterback, and people say, you might as well get the young guy in there. Let's get some excitement. Let's see what we have for the future. Let's start the future. The 49ers are a good football team, potentially. So a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo has an opportunity to go out there and win games. And if he keeps winning games and at least plays – at an acceptable level, he's got a chance to stay on the field at least short term. And also Chicago, similar situation. Not quite as good, but they have the great defense. They have Khalil Mack when things are clicking. If Andy Dalton starts winning games, he might be able to stay on the field, at least for the short term. Now, when you say short term, are you talking about this season? Oh, this season. Um yeah. Do you, and I, I just my read again, and maybe I'm too big a Justin Fields fan. I, I absolutely believe that uh, Chicago will make a move. Uh, oh, I agree, before. but I, but I think they'll make a move because they're not winning games. In other words, you know, Green Bay or Minnesota will probably get out front in that division. Maybe they're three and five, or and they say we got a chance. Justin's ready. Let's put him out there. I agree that's the most likely scenario. But if you turn that on its head and say Aaron Rodgers isn't there, the Vikings aren't playing well, I don't think Detroit is ready, 
Um, and the Bears are five and three or six and two, and they're on top of the division. They're going to keep playing Dalton. Right. But the, the one exception potentially is, and you already laid it out there, uh, if they're winning games, which would not be uncommon in that division if you're thinking historically, if they're winning games 10 9 and Danny Dalton's got yeah. two scores on the board yeah. on a given weekend, they might be five and three and they might still say, yeah, you know, we've, we've kind of. Uh, lucked out to be uh, five and three at this point because we should be scoring a whole heck of a lot more points. Let's make a change. And the other thing with the San Francisco situation is Trey Lance only played one year of subdivision college football. Justin Fields did play two solid years, actually three, but he didn't play when he was at Georgia, but two solid years as the starter at Ohio State. That's a big <laughs> difference. He's got more experience under his belt at a higher collegiate level. So I think the Bears would be a lot more comfortable going to him earlier than the 49. I think if, if Garoppolo stays healthy, I don't know that Trey Lance makes the field in this upcoming year. I think the 49ers are hopeful that's the way it goes. But I got to tell you, Jody, there is so much pressure. If they do, and and by losing games, I don't mean 4-11-1 like the Eagles were last year. I don't mean four wins in a 17-game season. I mean, if they're not in the playoff picture, if it's pretty clear, and that's a tough division on paper, if it's pretty clear that they're not going to be what they were in their run toward the Super Bowl, and you took a quarterback at number three overall, you might not want to do it. But the pressure is so significant to get that player on the field. It, it It's an underrated part of this. When you take a quarterback that high, it, it, you know, in Jacksonville, it doesn't matter because that's the guy, Trevor Lawrence. Right. The Jets, it doesn't matter. That's the guy, Zach Wilson. The 49ers have a chance to be a contender, at least potentially. Um, and Trey Lance, as you mentioned, is probably the rawest of the group, uh, as far as playing time, as far as level of competition in a lot of ways, it's a difficult pick from that perspective. Now, if he turns out to be a superstar, nobody cares, but down the road, but it's going to be really difficult to, to keep him on the bench. It, it really is. Mm, I agree with your line of logic. The only thing I will say is the powers that be in San Francisco are entrenched. Neither the general manager or the coach is uh, coaching for their lives and or being scrutinized by ownership. They might hear it from the fans. That's true. San Francisco media might uh, start to try and light a fire of, hey, you do realize you used the third pick in the draft to take this kid, but the coach... Well, and, and that's big. That's big. That's what I'm saying. Part of those outside voices, there's no question. Look, should they listen to him? No. Will they say they listen to him? No, of course not. But the pressure is there. It exists. It's real. And you see it every year when teams take quarterbacks high in the draft. They ultimately end up on the field. A lot of the reason is because they just stink, as I said, and they say whatever. But a lot of reason is because of that outside pressure. The good news for the 49ers, as I said, they might be a good football team, so they might not have that outside pressure. Right. But the uh, coach and the general manager know the only one they really answer to is the owner of the team. And if the owner calls me, the general manager, John Lynch, into his office says, wait a minute, didn't we use the third pick? Why are we sitting here at four and four and we're not talking about putting them in? The 
the general manager can look and say, listen, coach says he's just not ready. We love the kid. We don't love him any less after having him for all these months. But it's going to take time. We knew this going in. We explained it to everybody. Don't let the uh, people in the cheap seats run our organization. We've got the better grasp on the time frame that should be Trey Lance. And I think the owner would be smart enough to realize, yeah, I should listen to my general manager instead of my season ticket holders. But that's just me. I right, uh, he is Mac. I am Mac. The Mac and Mac guys on Birds 365, Mullen and McDonald. We'll take a timeout then. Doc Flynn is going to join us. Uh, Jessica Flynn, orthopedic surgeon up in Boston, uh, who's got uh, opinions on all injuries in the National Football League, will hop aboard with us on Birds 365. Stay here. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mag. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Appreciate you tuning in to this Thursday edition of Birds 365. Your Mac and Mac guys, McMullen and McDonald with you. Uh, we've got a guest scheduled to join the show here. A little bit of a different slant on the upcoming season in the National Football League. One from a medical uh, point of view. 
and with the Eagles past draft, it's something that we need to know about because Eagles took some guys who had an injury of history. Our next guest is a uh, sports medicine uh, surgeon, orthopedic surgeon, and also an analyst for the Boston Sports Journal. Uh, and she's a good follow on Twitter as well at Doc Flynn NFL. Dr. Jessica Flynn joins us here on Birds 365. Uh, Jody McDonald and John McMullen here. I'm sorry, Doc, I have to do it. What's up, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> Not much. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jessica, yeah, it's 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 great to have you because obviously, and I hope people don't hold it against you because you're in the Boston area. So we are with the Eagles. But uh, you do a great job sort of identifying and, and, and NFL injuries and kind of explaining all the information surrounding them. Biggest news here in Philadelphia is Landon Dickerson at number 37 overall. Uh, first round talent, significant injury history, tore both his ACLs uh, left and right. Uh, the latest being in the SEC championship game. Also had tightrope surgery in his ankle, which I want you to talk about as well, because Lane Johnson, the all pro right tackle for the Eagles, also had that last season. Uh, obviously, you don't get to see Landon, so you can only speak in general generalities, but when you have a six foot five, three hundred thirty pound kid, two ACLs, is that going to be a concern moving forward? It's it's a really great question, and um, you know I think one good piece of news is that it's two different ACLs, so it's not two ACLs on the same knee. Um, I think that is something that's a little bit more worrisome. So I think. That's most likely why it didn't affect his draft stop quite so much. But yeah, I mean, the poor guy, he dealt with a lot of injuries in college. He wasn't healthy all that often. When he was, he was very talented, you know, outstanding center, but, or lineman, I guess he wasn't always at center, but um, he had multiple ankle injuries, had that one ankle surgery, and then both ACLs. So I think the soonest thing fa fans should really think about is the fact that he might not be ready. Um, at the beginning of the season because he just had surgery in, I think, December. Um, you want to give him at least eight months and a bigger guy, maybe even a little bit more time to recover, let that graft heal because you don't want him to tear it again. Um, that would be kind of dis disastrous. But obviously injury problems for him is something you're going to have to think about. The fact that he's a little bit knock-kneed could certainly have played into his risk for having the ACL tears. And, and hopefully now that he's getting in with an NFL training staff and, and really knows his body a little bit better after going through all these injuries, it's something he can turn around in the pros. All right, Doc, I'm going to have to get a clarification here. I always had my own, and I'm a medical novice at best. <laughs> knock need. What is knock need? How would you describe knock need? Yeah, well, so knock need was the layman term I was trying to use, but <laughs> I can't even handle layman's terms. I need help with layman's terms. <laughs> so basically, it's when your knees go in a little bit, right? We call it genuvalgum, is what we call it. But it's well, when they yeah, whoa, 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 you, all, you gotta repeat that one. That was Latin. Um, so yeah, it's when the knees go in a little bit, some people's legs go out, that's the opposite. And some people's knees go in and, and having knees that go in does put you at increased risk because you're putting more stress on the ACL when you're playing sports. Jessica, it's interesting to me because the Eagles a couple years ago 
took a kid in the second round, Sidney Jones, who had tore his Achilles at his pro day. And the theory was, well, you know, he's a cornerback. He is 180 pounds, 185 pounds, whatever he was. It would be a little bit easier to rehab that type of leg injury. Brandon Brooks plays with the Eagles as well. He's torn his Achilles twice in three years, basically. Um, now, he's 6'5", 340. And people are saying he came back really quickly from the first Achilles tear. How much of an effect does that have when you're rehabbing these types of injuries, whether it's Achilles, ACL, is it easier for a cornerback than an offensive lineman or vice versa? I would say not necessarily. And, and an Achilles injury recovery is very different than an ACL recovery. So, um, I mean, you have to think about not just size, but position and uh, the need for quickness. I actually think it's tough for a cornerback to recover from an Achilles because you have to get that quickness back, that ability to go, you know, to just start on a dime and really be able to move and change direction. Um, when you, when you talk about size, I think the biggest concern with ACL tears is really the arthritis that happens in almost every knee that has an ACL tear, whether it's repaired or not. And so that's the bigger concern for alignment with ACL injury is how quickly is the arthritis going to set in? Is it going to be in the next five years, the next seven years, or is it going to be in the next 15? And, and the bigger guys are at increased risk of that happening a little bit sooner. Doc, again, some knowledge for your novice uh, questioner today. Uh, yours truly doesn't understand too many of these medical terms. Um, but I've been following sports for 50 years. And I remember when a guy would hurt his knee, we'd just say, well, he blew out his knee. Now we know ACL, MCL. We've got terms that we can understand it better. Torn pectoral muscle. I still don't understand that. All right, you ripped your muscle. Well, I don't remember any players back in the day when I was a kid growing up, the 70s into the 80s, anybody having torn pectoral muscles, how did we come about to be able to know what that was, what actually is it, and why is it so long? I would think that that should be something that you should be able to rehab and get back on the field faster, but it takes guys out for entire years. When did we learn about torn pectoral muscles? Well, we may have learned about it a little bit before you did, <laughs> but I think it's some, you're right. Like it's, it's, it is wild now. And this is sort of how I got into doing this to talking about sports injuries is now the average person is going on TV and commenting on sports and who has incredible knowledge in football, but maybe less knowledge when it comes to these injuries and they're discussing these injuries, but you're not doing they're discussing these injuries in significant detail. So mm. that's when the problem happens, right? Like the, the now we know like the minute it happened, we have a video of it happening and, and we have people commenting on it and how long the athlete's going to take to recover and they haven't even gotten off the field yet, right? So um, I think it's a great question. Um, pectoral injuries just take a long time because they're huge muscles, obviously really important, um, especially for someone like a linebacker who's trying to reach and tackle. Um, so they just, they do, they take a long time to heal. Um, it's a big muscle with a big tendon, um, and it, and it takes a long time for that to recover. All right, Jessica, I'm going to follow up on that because I'm going to give you another injury. And I'm sure, you know, Dr. William Myers, he is the guy he's in Philadelphia when it comes to the core muscle injury. Now, first he likes to call it core muscle. 
it was first called sports hernia. Now that didn't exist, what Jody was talking about, or did it existed? Do we just have a different labeling of it? How, how does something like that come about? And it seems there's so many more surgeries for core muscle injuries. Why do you think it's gone in that direction? It is funny how the nomenclature, the wording has changed over the years, even since I've been practicing for the past 15 years. Um, we, we now understand it's more like a tendonitis, like a chronic tendonitis, so chronic groin, chronic ab tendonitis. It's not a classic hernia like you guys think of, like a big bulge somewhere in your stomach or somewhere. Um, now we know a little bit more about it. Um, and, and it's obviously very common because these athletes – what they can do now compared to what they could do 15 years ago is very different. Um, they're quicker. They're stronger. That's why they're tearing their ACLs because their ACLs are still the same size and their muscles are enormous and they can start and stop on a dime. They're taking big chunks of um, real estate and trying to make a quick cutting move in that, in that space. And, and so we're seeing that their soft tissues are getting abused. And, and that's why you're seeing their core is actually the heart of how they can quickly change direction like that. So that's why you're seeing more of it. Doc, there are a lot of stages to when a player gets hurt. On the field, they get hurt. Okay, how can you get them back onto the field as quick as possible? First, there's a diagnosis. Then there's surgery if necessary. And then maybe the most important part, which is the rehab thereafter. It seems to me, teams in the NFL have different thought processes and different ways of handling rehab. Is there a best way to do it? Is it something you have to do on a case-by-case basis? Or is there something you've observed in your years working with players that have these on-field type injuries? What's the best way to rehab? Uh, well, I think there are two parts. There's the physical rehab and the mental rehab, right? So getting the player not just has to doesn't just have to heal. They also have to sort of get used to their new normal. Um, and it is very player dependent. It's very position dependent. Um, so you make that call with, with every athlete. I think what you're alluding to is teams definitely handle things differently. You'll hear, well, this team doc is incredibly conservative or this team doc you know, is more comfortable taking risks. You see it in the draft. Certain teams are much more likely to take an injury risk than others. You know, some teams will fail. I mean, I, I've heard stories recently about, you know, from GM saying, oh, my God, we, you know, we failed this guy at his medicals, and then he went on to be amazing, and then they took another player at the same position who was an injury disaster and not nearly as, you know, um, as competitive on the field. So it's, it's just very team dependent what that team medical staff, meaning the training staff and the doctors are comfortable with. Jessica, speaking of that, when I talk to NFL teams, it seems like their concerns when it comes to potential draft picks or even players in-house are backs and necks. When they really like to, I hate to use the term red flag, but when they say, okay, there's going to be a potential problem here and potentially they'll put them down on their draft board or even take them off. It, it, is it because there's so much uncertainty with, with the back and the neck as opposed to, say, a torn ACL, Achilles? You know what you're, you're dealing with? I, I, I do agree with you. I think that is part of it. You just don't know how a certain athlete's going to recover with different discs 
um, issues, but you saw Caleb Farley, you know, he fell a little bit because he probably was, if you just looked at skill, the number one cornerback, he fell a little bit, but he still went in the first round. Right. So I do, I do think that's part of it. I think concussions are probably even a little bit more worrisome just because they're really, we can at least get an MRI of the spine. We really can't tell anything from a brain MRI. So I think those are probably the most worrisome and then spine. And obviously it's, it's position dependent. I worry much more in a blocking tight end like Gronk than I would worry in a cornerback, depending, you know, if they have the same injury, just because that blocking and extension, bigger guy, you know, can lead to, to sooner issues. Doc, uh, if you'd be so kind, I'd like to do some role playing with you. It's not going <laughs> to be anything that will embarrass either you or I. Uh, I'll explain it. Uh, I want to play, play Howie Roseman. You play yourself. Uh, and here's the way the conversation goes. I pick up the phone and say, Doc, with the 10 pick in the draft, we just picked Devonta Smith. And the only blowback I'm getting is a lot of people believe at 166 pounds playing in the National Football League, he's an injury waiting to happen. Now, we watched all his tape at Alabama. He never missed any games. He mm. answered the bell every single game. But yet there is this murmur about, oh, he's too small to play in the National Football League. Give me your doctor's perspective. Is it only a matter of time before DeMonte Smith gets hurt? Can he avoid this because he's just that skilled and talented and good at doing it? What would you have advised Howie Roseman if he called you and said, I'm thinking about taking this kid at number 10, but I have some uh, worries on it? Well, the size is obviously a concern. Um, But I guess if you're quick enough to get away from the bigger guy, that's helpful, right? Um, I I think one issue that teams – I think the the management of teams, maybe the front office thought, oh, well, we can just load him up and, and, you know, he'll gain 15 pounds the first season. We'll put him on the field and he'll be fine. And and so what I would advise him is, look, we maybe can add a little bit, maybe five pounds the first season, but we're not going to see much more than that. So how comfortable you are you with him at this weight? Because I don't want you to have this fantasy that we're going to make him bigger, you know, in the short term. And, yeah, he's a risk, but it's no more of a risk than any of these other athletes who actually have injury histories. He has a pretty clean slate when it comes to injuries, and he was able to push through and be on the field if he, even if he did have some soft tissue injuries. So I think that is probably equally important, that character, to be able to be out there and proving that he's not injury prone at the college level. All right. Uh Jessica, and and by the way, follow Jessica. It's at Doc Flynn NFL. She does a tremendous job, as you see, uh, giving you all the information about NFL injuries. I have to look this up because Lane Johnson, I mentioned him before. He was on our show. He had a tight rope surgery on his ankle last season, Jessica. He tried to get through the season. Uh, He wasn't able to. And then he had what he described as a deltoid repair in this ankle. Um, could you kind of give us the skinny on both of those surgeries and how of much course. of a concern it is? Of course. So the the tightrope surgery is a surgery that's done to sort of um, repair the high ankle injury. So a high ankle sprain is when the, the ligaments that attach your two shin bones together, so above the ankle joint, when they tear. 
and the tightrope surgery is done to sort of pull those bones together and stabilize them because a high ankle injury is really, really painful and it makes the ankle joint and unstable and difficult to really do anything on. So a tightrope surgery can get athletes back on the field a little bit sooner um, or a lot sooner. So that's done to try to get them. And then if they're not able to get back, the deltoid ligament is actually a different area of the ankle altogether. It's the inner ankle actually in the ankle joint. It's a big ligament. Um, when someone sprains that ligament, it's a much longer recovery and much more painful than the classic low ankle sprain that you see like in a on a basketball court. Um, so sometimes it does have to be repaired if the, the combination of that and the high ankle injury makes the ankle joint really unstable and it's a longer recovery. Doc, when you answered the question before about uh, rehab and uh, different ways to handle it and the physical process as compared to the mental process, it uh, gave me pause for thought. And uh, therefore, I want to ask you this question. Uh, you, you have a, a player that they want you to take a look at. The tests are done, MRI, uh, x-ray, whatever. And you immediately say, all right, this is going to require surgery. So you know after the fact it is going to require rehab to get the player back out on the uh, field. Do you discuss it at length before the surgery? Or do you wait till after the surgery? Because some guys, I'm sure, want to know immediately, well, when am I going to be able to start playing again? And others want to wait till the process is done. You're the individual who's going to do the process. How do you determine when you're going to get into greater detail as to how long it's going to take before a player returns to the field? Jody, that is a very good question. So first, I just want to clarify, I'm not a surgeon. I'm a sports medicine doctor. I do everything except the actual surgery. So I wouldn't be doing the procedure, but I will tell you, I handle it depending on the athlete. Um, and I do, most athletes, they literally do not want to know any of the details. I will say most athletes, they don't want to know. They just want to know when can I start right. rehabbing and when can I get back on the field? So there's really no putting that off. I do think that's something you start with. And there will be cases, there are cases when the surgeon takes the athlete to the OR and they find something else, or they have to actually take a look in the joint to know for sure how long the recovery is going to be. So you give them a range. But I do think the mental preparation is important right away. And some surgeries like an ACL tear actually need some prehab. You want to delay that surgery if you can for a few weeks to get swelling down to work on range of motion. And so that, of course, is a time that they want to know, well, what am I doing the day after the surgery? Uh, doc, this is probably out of your purview, but you're a doctor, so I'm going to ask you the question. Um, Justin Fields um, came out a little bit before the draft that he had epilepsy and he's taking medicine to control it. Um, didn't fall very far, ended up number 11. Is When you have to take medicine for, for something like that, is there a concern is there a level? Do you have to kind of figure it out? W would teams look at that and say, we have to at least dive deeper into what's going on here? I think the main questions will be, would, would be how long has he been on the medication? That's a, something where a lot of, of people go on the medication and then they sort of outgrow the dose slowly. And um, if he's been on it for many years, hasn't had any problems with seizures. So that's the main thing. 
How long have you been on the medication? Have you had any seizures recently? And it sounds like the answer to that was no. So to me, that was not, you know, it was sort of put out there as a very flashy story, which I thought was disappointing because I think it's sort of a no non-story and, and hopefully something that is not a problem for him in his career. All right, Doc, last one for me. Um, we've done a nice job of balancing your, I should say you have, um, <laughs> actual medical procedures with the mental part of the game and what rehab breaks down to on both sides of the fence. Every once in a while, there is such a tragic injury that you pretty much know it's going to end a individual's career, that it is so large that at their age, rehab is just going to take too much and it's not going to be worth it for that player to be able to come back. Have you ever had to deal with somebody like that, that they, they asked you to be the bearer of not only bad news, but tragic news that this may very well end their career? When you, If you did, what was that like? How difficult was it? Yes, I have. Um, a lot of times an injury like that is arthritis. So it's a result of multiple ligament tears in a knee or something like that. And it's finally, look, these are your options. Kind of like Dustin Pedroia went through um, with his knee. You know, you can do this little procedure. It might help. So the athlete tries that. It doesn't work. You can do this bigger procedure. The recovery is going to stink. So they try that, they have a terrible year of recovery, never quite get back to it. And then you get to the point of, okay, the only option at this point is a joint replacement. And that's not conducive with playing in any of these professional leagues. So I have had that discussion with athletes before. And, and to be honest, most of the athletes know it's coming. You know, Julian Edelman, Patriots wide receiver, he knew this was coming. This is something he's been dealing with for a long time. And it just got to a point where there was nothing else medicine could offer him that would still allow him to play football. And I think, you know, slowly these athletes kind of come to grips with that. Last one from me, Jessica, on the opposite side of that, when you see a Jalen Smith or a Teddy Bridgewater, I think most notably would be Alex Smith with 17 surgeries, and they get back on the field from these catastrophic injuries. I have a dog too. She's always not feeling well, apparently. Yeah, no worries, no worries whatsoever. We kept you too long, so we'll get you back to the dog. But <laughs> as a as a doctor, when you see athletes go through what they go through to get back on the field from these really catastrophic injuries, do you say, "Wow, we, how far have we come to be able to get these players back on the field from these types of injuries?" Because a generation ago, they weren't coming back from these things. It's. It's incredibly remarkable. Um, you know, Alex, Smith is, Alex Smith's injury, just his whole rehab and how he was able to make it back on the field at a pretty high level, um, it's incredible. And you're right, we could not have done that 10, 15 years ago. So I think um, it's not just a testament to where we've come in medicine, but also where we've come with sort of helping these athletes through giving them hope, giving them support, and kind of sticking with it because teams could have easily just moved on, you know, from an athlete like that. And I and I think, um, yeah, it's a remarkable story. All right, Doc, it won't be a last question. I said I'd give you the last question. It's more of a last statement. I uh, don't know if you do any work or have done any work with any of the Celtic players. 
last couple of times the Celtics and the Sixers met in the playoffs has not gone well for Philadelphia. This year it is. So if the Celtics and the Sixers <laughs> should happen to play, you might want to tell the guys ahead of time, bring the expectations down a little bit because uh, Philadelphia kind of owes Boston one. In that <laughs> okay. okay, I hope the Celtics are healthy for that game. They're having a little bit of a, of a hump right now. <laughs> Doc, we appreciate greatly. You're coming on the show. You uh, taught us uh, something, or at least I did. I had a lot to learn. Uh, so thank you for being not only informative, but a teacher as well. We will certainly uh, reach out to you again down the road. Thanks for having me on, guys. Our pleasure. That is Dr. Jessica Flynn, a noted sports doctor, and uh, she writes for the uh, Boston Sports Medical Journal as well. Uh, I don't know. I learned something, JM. I don't know about you, but I surely did. I got a lot to learn. Uh, so that's yeah. Any- well, we all do. I mean, we're not. We have to talk about injuries, and we're not experts. So it's good uh, when you can get an expert on, and because these these surgeries, these injuries, they're complicated. They are, and most times go over my head. That's why we have someone on who knows exactly what she's talking about. So we thank Dr. Jessica Flynn. All right, he is John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We have the Mac and Mac guys on Birds 365. We'll come back in just a couple. Keep it right here. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
the Magamac guys. McMullen and McDonald here with you on Birds 365. Uh, coming up about a half an hour from now, we will get Adam Kaplan top aboard and talk uh, all things Eagles, uh, NFL as well. And I would do a little of that with you, John, before we get Adam up. Uh, certainly a couple of Birds topics, but also the overall NFL and the overall NFL for the last 48, 72 hours has certainly been Aaron Rodgers and whether he is or isn't staying in Green Bay. Everybody's got an opinion on it. You've already shared some of yours. And it can be an ever-changing opinion because certain things happen that could change your perspective on it. Um, nothing really new news-wise. Aaron's taking to uh, social media with a couple of his teammates, which people want to read a ton into, which is certainly understandable and fine. But the thing that uh, grabs my attention more than anything is some well-respected individuals within the game taking stances on this. This is what we do. If you're a member of the media and yeah. you talk about football and you've got to have an opinion on Aaron Rodgers, who's at fault? How did we get here? Where does it go from here? Terry Bradshaw has been pretty outspoken the last couple of days. And I like Terry Bradshaw. I happen to be a fan. I think he does a good uh, job on the Fox show. Been doing it forever and uh, not afraid to say what he thinks, which is the key element if you're going to be a talking head on TV. And Terry's uh, certainly a guy who garners attention. Doesn't mean you always get it right. And uh, that's where I think Terry Bradshaw was at with the things he said this week. First of all, he took a shot on uh, Rogers on the field said he's got the worst footwork of any starting quarterback in the National Football League. Really, Terry? Do you really? And I think. Uh, that, well, he, he doesn't have great footwork, but it's not the worst by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I think it's interesting, Jody. I, I talk about this all the time. Patrick Mahomes, by a traditional standard, is a mechanical mess. If you go back to his pre-draft sort of reports, it, it was consistent as all get out. I mean, this guy mechanically for a traditional quarterback isn't good. But I've always compared Patrick Mahomes to Steph Curry in the NBA. You know, and you, you know, Jody, you go back to a different generation, you pull up to take a 30-footer, what's the coach going to do? He's going to rip you the hell out of the game. It's a bad shot for everybody on the planet, but Steph Curry, he changed the game. He, he was that good to where a bad shot became a good shot. Um, same with Patrick Mahomes. No look passes, um, different arm angles. Uh, teams always talk about, we talked about with Carson Wentz, with footwork, how poor it was. Well, he didn't have the athleticism to make up for it. The arm angles, the Patrick Mahomes shortstop-like play. His dad was a pitcher in baseball, everybody knows. Um, he's just different. Mm. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers. No. Is the footwork traditional? No. Does it work? Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's three seasons – in NFL history, Jody, three seasons where a quarterback has had more than 40 touchdown passes, less than seven interceptions. Can you give me those three quarterbacks? Absolutely not. Well, it, it was a trick question. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. That's it. I mean, is the footwork great? No. Who cares? 
it, it, it's so funny you when you go down a road like this uh your mind starts to wander and believe me when i tell you this story i'm not comparing myself to aaron Rodgers or patrick Mahomes or anyone else for that matter but uh, i was an athlete up until i got to college played one year division three basketball broke my ankle in three places my career was over on the court and began uh behind the mic um, but you I was not a big... Jessica about that, by the way, that ankle, you could have got back. if you. Had I, I still know. I can tell you ahead of time when it's going to rain some 40, 30, some odd years later, I can still feel in my ankle when it is going to rain. Um, but I wasn't a bad point guard in my day. Uh, and I had a pretty good handle. I was quick, not fast, but I was quick. And I had an excellent concept of the game and, uh, I could handle it with the best of them. Not quite Pete Maravich, but pretty damn good. And I used to like to try and throw specific passes, a little no-look aspect to it, but also off the dribble. And I had two coaches that I really liked, both of them, during my high school career growing up, uh, one of which who would absolutely call a time, if I didn't practice, blow the whistle after I made a pass to a teammate, led directly to a basket. If I did it directly off the dribble, he would stop the practice and say, we don't do that. Don't ever do that. It is ill-advised to attempt to pass off the Don't ever do that. And I would look at him and go, we got the basket. The pass got through. My teammate made the shot. We got the basket. Why would you say we should never do something like that? And then uh, my varsity coach told me he would stop the practice or he would shoot a glance at me and go, Okay, you better get that pass through. He would not say you can't do it. He would just say, you're, you realize you're taking a chance by doing that. That most times it's an ill-advised play. You got it through, so I'm not going to knock you or question you now, but just know I'm on record as saying you're taking a big-time chance by doing it. That's what I think of when I see Rodgers and Mahomes. They're the best at what they do. Why would you overanalyze and go, yeah, but you know their footwork isn't uh, on 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 pace. That's not the way you're supposed to do it. Who cares? Isn't this a results based game? If a guy ends up with a touchdown pass, who cares what his foot footwork looks like? I thought that was just an uncalled for shot from Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that's it. I mean, there are certain guys that can do things that other guys can't do, and you're right. If everybody's starting at the same level, the guy with the best mechanics is probably going to be the best. That's not how it works, Jody. I mean, you have these great athletes, these great natural skills, might even be God-given ability, whatever God you believe in, whatever. Not a lot of people can do what Steph Curry can do. Not a lot of people can do what Patrick Mahomes can do. And there's never been a quarterback in the history of football that could do the things that Aaron Rodgers has been able to do from a statistical standpoint. So, I'm not going to nitpick it. Um, can you point out, can you also say there's the other side of the equation that says, well, you can't say anything. You can't say Patrick Mahomes has bad footwork. I've gotten freezing cold tape for that. Um, the guy's got bad footwork. There's not, they're not mutually exclusive. It doesn't matter, but it exists. So all right, there's, you, there's all right I'm, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna get, uh, fill in his freezing cold takes. Please explain to us why Patrick uh, Aaron Rodgers' footwork is so bad. I, I, I'm not gonna go that far. I again, <clears throat> I'm married to results, and 
I don't see him making mistakes because of footwork, just because we have a definition of what fo footwork is. Well, isn't footwork you, you, determined you, by the result of the play? You have a definition because of history and traditionally, again, if you have a normal quarterback who doesn't have these extraordinary skills, he's going to be better if he's got good footwork, three-step, five-step, seven-stop drop. If he's coming out of the pocket, does he get his shoulders squared? Uh, is he using his lower body? Is he throwing with his arm? All this relates to footwork and mechanics. Look, it's real. It's real. If, if, if you do some bad things, bad things are going to happen. But, yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, if you have a generational talent, I hate using that term, but I just used it, and, and somebody who's just better than everybody else, you brought up Pete Maravich. I mean, how spectacular was that guy? Um, certain guys can do certain things that other guys can't. Right. And you better be able to recognize when you have one of those players and don't nitpick them and say, you know, I think the concern from the traditional coach is what I just explained. If I let Steph Curry shoot from 30 feet, everybody's going to want to shoot from 30 feet. Um, and they think it's going to be this weird snowball Look, nobody wants to embarrass themselves. Nobody wants to throw no-look passes like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, if they do, they're going to look silly. Uh, so I think a lot of that stuff kind of takes care of itself. But you know how coaches are. It can be at any level. You know, they're trying to teach people how to be better for the most part. And traditionally, the vast majority of people – need fundamentals. Some people, Julia Serving, my favorite player growing up, that shot was not traditional, Jody. The way he shot a basketball worked pretty well for him. You know, I, I, I mean, there are different, different. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. People, and just they're just so far ahead of everybody else. But fundamentals are real. They exist. And you should work to do the best possible. But, yeah, I mean, this is a results-driven industry, especially at the professional level, and that trumps everything. Agreed. And maybe I'm nitpicking again here. Um, footwork, to me, has to do with defeat. Uh, throwing the ball sidearm, no-look passes, that's not footwork. That's mechanics overall. The, to me, footwork is part of mechanics, but it does not equal mechanics. And mechanics does not equal footwork. No, and but I, I will say, say say you're flushing out of the pocket. And I just said, you want to get your shoulders straight. You want to get your feet set so you can get the most on the football. And if you just start using your arm talent, your God-given arm talent, um, and you make plays, Another guy who doesn't have that God-given arm talent because his footwork, because he doesn't get his shoulder square, because he doesn't get 
his feet in the right position, bad things are going to happen. So it, it, it all comes together. It's all, it all correlates. And at the quarterback position, it all starts with footwork. I mean, that everything else comes from that. And let me ask another question. Um, when we're talking about a sport like football, any sport, as a matter of fact, over time, new phrases arise to describe something within the game. Some people get bent out of shape by it. My buddy Phil Mushnick up in the New York Post hates when people come up uh, with new phrases like high-pointing the ball. I get what high-pointing the ball. I got no problems with someone using that. Yeah, From time we learn, we change. We've got another one that has developed over the last couple of years, off-platform plays, which it took me a while to actually grasp the concept. What what do they mean by off-platform? Out of the pocket, not designed, make it up as you go along. There's a lot of ways you can describe it, but off-platform plays are what's talked about, and it's been used a lot this off-season leading up to the draft because a whole bunch of the quarterbacks had the ability to make off-platform plays. The only one who really didn't was Mac Jones. The other four all could do that. They were very good <laughs> outside of the pocket. That was be the way I would describe it rather than off-platform, just outside the pocket, but so be it. Don't all off-platform plays require you to not be good with your footwork in the national football? Because I get the whole concept of drop back, step forward, drive, shoulders. That's out of the pocket. I get it. Okay, there is a perfect way to do it. As soon as you get off platform, that kind of goes out the window. And a guy like Mahomes and a guy like Rogers do it a lot, and they're that good at it. Why wouldn't they do it? Even if, oh, my God, Terry Bradshaw is going to say he's got the worst footwork in the NFL. Well, two reasons. One, and coaches have been using – they use off schedule for the most part. They've been using that for 20 years or so. Um, and you know, off schedule offense is an important part of the modern NFL because I, I think even more important because you don't have as much practice time. So if things are going wrong, you need a quarterback that can make a play that can just draw it up in the dirt and make a play. Right. But I do think when you talk about outside the pocket work, no, there's a lot of guys that have tremendous footwork outside the pocket uh, and 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 get their shoulders squared and 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 do it in a fundamental fashion. Um, so I think you can have good fundamentals off schedule as well, and you can have bad fundamentals, and it can really the bad fundamentals can really affect quarterbacks. Yes, as I said, from a traditional standpoint. If, if you're looking at Jody McDonald and John McMullen playing flag football, and we we try to, to do what Patrick Mahomes does, it's awful fundamentals. It's going to look atrocious. So you do have to look at, at the player uh, and what he's able to accomplish. And as you said, the best thing you said in this discussion is results-driven business. I mean, results-driven game. They get results. Who cares? Yes, from traditional football theory and fundamentals, he doesn't have great footwork. Neither of them do. Quickie so what? A- so what? Quickly aside before I come back and uh, ask another Rogers question, you and I, the just mental picture of you and I playing flag football is something <laughs> that I don't know that anyone actually wants no, to envision. Not at but- this stage. 
If we back did in the, back in the day, I will brag a little bit on myself here. Um, my father took me to a game at Shea Stadium. This is either 1970 or 71, somewhere thereabouts. So I'm not even a teenager yet. Um, and the Jets were playing the Washington Redskins. And we got there well before the game because we got to use my father's box because he's general manager at the time. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so we got there hours before the game started and to beat the traffic because my father always wanted to beat the traffic. And we watched the two teams warm up. And Sonny Jurgensen was the starting quarterback for the Redskins that day. And the Redskins were out on the field warming up. And I saw something that I had never seen before, which I thought was the coolest thing I'd ever seen to that point. And truth be told, even with a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who's a magician with the football, I, I don't get to NFL games and watch warm-ups uh, like I did that day. So maybe he does. But I watched Sonny Jurgensen throw five consecutive passes to a streaking wide receiver going across the field behind his back. He would just drop back. Everything would look like a genuine NFL play. And then he would just whip it behind his back and hit a guy dead in stride. Go, not, not standing still, running a pattern, going across the field, lead him perfectly and hit him. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. From that day on, I started to practice being able to throw the ball behind my back. So if you and I ever do play flag football, I'm just telling you ahead of time, be ready to catch one. If I'm going to throw right. it to you, I, I might go behind my back. Jody. It is fundamental. tremendously bad fundamentals, but it is the most entertaining thing, one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen yeah. on a football field. And I, yes, worked on it. I, I'd have to practice. Well, I would bit. say that to me is watching Rasheed Wallace pregame sit in the first row, sit in the first row uh, on the side of the court. So you can imagine a corner three. He's sitting down in the first seat and just draining three after three after three. Yeah, Seth, Seth Curry loves to do that too. He likes to take about – and in-game he takes 30, 35 footers. Before That's the game, a 6'11 guy. 6'11 guy. And, and Rashid, a diehard Philadelphian, so we'll always like him for that. Um, but Seth Curry regularly likes to warm up taking 60-foot shots, which if that's what works for you, more power to you, Seth. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that uh, Terry Bradshaw said about Aaron Rodgers that I, I didn't understand – I know I don't like it, and I don't even know that I understand it. He called Aaron Rodgers weak because of the action he's taken and the stance that he's taken and the stories that are out there that he doesn't want to be in Green Bay anymore. And uh, the one that I don't know is 100% true, the fact that he has said if the general manager is fired, that fences could be mended. I get it. Terry's old school. I like to think of myself as old school, too. But you also have to stay up with the times and realize this is happening in sports other sports on yeah. in addition to the NFL where the players can dictate terms, calling them weak. What, what do you think Terry Bradshaw meant by that? I think it's anything but weak. Um, I think it's just what you said. He's old school. It's a different time. I mean, Jody, just look at this off season. Russell Wilson doesn't like what's going on in Seattle. Once input into personnel Deshaun Watson before the legal issues, he wanted to hire the head coach and the general manager. 
Carson Wentz here is upset that the Eagles didn't draft uh, somebody who could help him drafted a quarterback. And then you have Aaron Rodgers who can't stand the GM and wants to be involved with practice squad receivers. I don't agree with any of it. I think these quarterbacks are stupid, to be honest. I'll use that term. I think they're stupid. Uh, they should stay in their lanes, as Andrew Brandt would say. But it ain't just Aaron Rodgers. That's that's the modern generation of sports. That's where we are. And when you have a superstar, you better make him happy. Right. Or he's going to look elsewhere, and he's going to force his way out. That's just the the landscape. I don't necessarily have to like it. You don't necessarily have to like it. Terry doesn't obviously doesn't like it. But sticking your head in the sand isn't going to make it go away. That's how I look at it. Right. And maybe I take this stuff too literally, but I just don't comprehend the use of the word weak. If anything, he's too strong, strong-willed, strong-opinionated that he knows better than the powers that be with the organization. Yeah. I can tell you what players say. I can tell you what direction we should. I should tell you what place we should be running. That's not weak. That's overconfident, if anything, from an yeah, old school I mean, standpoint. You know, you, you do this stuff all the time. We talk all the time on the radio. Sometimes something comes out, maybe you use the wrong word. I agree with you. If you're going to take it from a literal fashion, Aaron Rodgers is anything but weak. I mean, he's a strong-willed guy. He's, um, he's a competitive guy to the point where he doesn't care what you think. Whatever he says is right. That's the exact opposite. Uh, he's a strong – He you could argue he's too strong-willed. Right. Unwilling to accept. Uh, other input that maybe has a a better take on a potential situation because let's be honest jody he doesn't have time to do personnel in the nfl so he's not an expert at it no matter what he thinks and he might understand what makes a good receiver but i guarantee you know jake kumaro i mean you're 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 that's your hill uh, a practice squad receiver I, I mean, come on, Aaron. That's one of the things that uh, if you are going to give secede power to a player, uh, you got to be able to uh, see that that player is going to be able to differentiate talent and personality. You're right. I think Kumaro was his buddy, and he wanted to go to war for his buddy, which was probably pretty foolish. I, Jay Mack, uh, something will probably run by Adam Kaplan when we get him on. I want to run by it, uh, run it by you first. Um, this was a week that I thought we might see more signings in the National Football League. After the draft is over, you come to the period where you can sign a free agent and they no longer have an effect on draft compensation for free agent signings. Yeah. Uh, that goes up until the draft. And then anybody who is still out there as a free agent after the draft, you can sign and you don't have to worry about either uh, giving up compensation compared to other free agents that have either left your team or that you brought in. Uh, Bill and the Wave signed after yeah. the draft with the Ravens. The Ravens are a team that puts a ton of stock into that whole draft compensation thing, um, and they were able to wait and still get their guy. There's still some other players out there, and we know the Eagles still have needs. Certainly a glaring one is at cornerback, and we've thrown around the names of the free agent quarterbacks that are still out there. I brought this up with you probably the first week that we started Birds 365, <clears throat> but it is now a little different because 
we have gone past the part where the Eagles would lose compensatory free agents status if they were to sign guys. I still think they need a pass rusher. There are two guys out there who are a little older, but are proven pass rushers in the National Football League in Melvin Ingram and Ryan Kerrigan, who are still available as free agents. Did the Eagles do enough in the draft to think, oh, okay, we're good enough at defensive end. We're good enough on the edge that we wouldn't need a, a player like that. Do you believe these guys' asking price is still too big across the National Football League? Give me your thoughts on uh, the edge pass rushers that are still available for, for, via free agency. Can the Eagles find any way to get them in under their cap? Um. Yeah, it can always manipulate. We've talked about having those restructures in, in your holster. They have a couple more that they could restructure. So if they wanted to bring a, bring a player in, they could. I mean, uh, they don't want to. They're not in that position. We've talked about this. A, they want to get younger. They don't want that veteran. But Howie Roseman went on WIP yes, just yesterday yes. and said, we're going to try and win as many games as well, possible this year. I'm telling get- Howie Roseman, if he's listening – Getting an Ingram or a Kerrigan would give you a better chance well, to win games I in 2021. Say, I, Jody Mack is looking for consistency. And I told you yesterday, you ain't getting it. So, I mean, if that's your bar, and if you're going to hold the Eagles to that bar, yes. you're, you're going to be disappointed. You're okay. going to be disappointed. If Howie had the truth, Jeremy would have said, we're going to try to win games in this fashion. You know, if, if it were 2017, 2018, even 2019, um, that would be the type of player. Yeah, man, this would be the time of year. No compensatory pick to worry about. No, no compensatory nonsense. Jimmy Kempsky can rest. Uh, that's his brand for people that don't know. Um, so, yeah, that would have been the type of move that they would make to look like Eric Blunt's of the world, the Chris Long's of the world, players like that. But this team's in a different position. Now, get to August, and they didn't do what you also said. They didn't do enough at pass rusher. Um, there was some talk that they would take an edge rusher in the first round, at least not not a lot, but at least a little. Uh, it's sort of one of those understated needs, uh, and they didn't address it until very late in the draft with – uh, Teron Jackson and then Patrick Johnson, who are not certainly not gimmies uh, as late round picks. So they'll get to August, they'll get to training camp, and they'll probably look at Teron Jackson and, and Patrick Johnson and say, mm, you know what? These guys aren't going to be ready to get to the passer. At that point, if somebody's on the street, and the coaching staff and Jonathan Gannon says, oh, you know what? I don't I don't have enough here. Then they might address it. But they're they're in a phase, as we said, we often say Jeffrey Lurie coined it transition. They want to get younger, they want to get more cost effective, like a lot of teams in this league. And when they look at the players, when they get the players on the field, then they'll go, Oh, this guy's not ready. If Brian Kerrigan's out there, if he's willing to play, if somebody else is out there, Melvin Ingram, if he's willing to play for the veteran minimum, which I highly doubt, that second part, um, yeah, then maybe address it. But I don't see them doing it right now. 
And another thing we will talk about, Adam Kaplan, uh, just checked it off on my calendar. I got a calendar right here, uh, just to the right of where uh, yours truly does, uh, Birds 365. Another day checked off, Zach Ertz still with the Philadelphia Eagles. Still here. Supposedly, he's been gone two or three times already. He is still a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. That's just another thing we're going to hit on with Adam Kaplan. Uh, Birds Insider will be coming up with us next. He is John McMullen. I am Jody McDonald. You're watching Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mag. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. This is a Thursday edition of Birds 365. Mac and Mac guys, McMullen and McDonald with you. Oh, we've got another good guest coming your way yes. right now. Uh, he has been a voice in the Philadelphia Eagle media stream for many years. Uh, still doing work for Sirius XM NFL. He's inside the Birds podcast. Very well received in this town. I got no issues, no problems talking Birds football with Adam Kaplan. He's been doing it a long time. I've known Adam a long time. So, John, we're both uh, very happy to have him here on the show. AC, how you been, buddy? It's been a while. I know, guys. Good to talk to you. Jody and I did some hosting on the NFL radio together. Man, at least over a decade ago, I'm guessing, uh, since we started there in 04. But, no, it's good to be with you guys. 
uh, as we get through May here. And what we're not going to have is OTAs here for the Eagles, unfortunately, as you know. Um, not going to have that rookie minicamp. I was hoping we would have it. I used to love going to these practices, John. I used to love going there. I, I know they don't mean a whole I think lot. We all do, yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I um, for the first time in I think eighteen years, I didn't have a training camp tour. I was dying not having it uh, last summer. But hopefully, things get better and we get back to work like usual. And that's why I'm thrilled to have Adam on. Hardest working man in show business, not right. only with the Eagles, uh, but also the NFL. So he's got contacts all over the league, and it's interesting to me, Adam, because. Before we get into the draft stuff, the current Eagle stuff, I, I haven't had you on yet here on Birds 365, yeah. so I want to talk to you about the coaching staff in this show. Sure. Sure. And we don't know a lot about Nick Sirianni, Jonathan Gannon, Shane Steichen. What what are we going to see, and what do you think this shift away from Doug Peterson to this young, energetic, energetic coaching staff, what was behind it? All right, John, let, let's start to the, from the latter that you were talking about. So, Peterson obviously is older than Sirianni. Um, you know, they Doug played in the league, Nick did not. Nick's a former receiver. Doug is Peterson is a former quarterback. So there's some differences in philosophy and, and how things will be done. Uh, what we reported on Inside the Birds, really, I'm thinking 48 hours after Sirianni was hired, I think it's still true. The offense is going to be West Coast based in terms of um, route running and philosophy, a lot of run after the catch, a uh, timing based uh, throws. And the fact, um, our J- Jason Ivana does a show for us called uh, Q&A with uh, Quentin Michael. He had a really good note on their show yesterday that dropped, and you can get that on our, our Inside the Birds platform uh, on any anyone you want. Uh, Jason talks about it in terms of the routes that uh, are going to be out there. There are going to be some option routes. I'll, uh, you you got to hear Jason explaining. He's got some great intel. Remember, Jason was an assistant receivers yeah, coach yeah. for the Eagles last season, so he's got some great information. And you know what Jeff Mosher and I learned, um, is that this is more going to be a West Coast system. Now, I like the, the point Jeff had made on one of our recent shows. He said, listen, if you look at this staff, um, Sirianni, obviously, with Naheem Hines, Steichen with Austin Eckler, well, this is the type of the offense you're going to have. There's good versatility is going to be, be big here with the running backs, not only with Miles Sanders, but with uh, Kenny Gainwell, who could have a pretty significant role if he could um, – could learn the offense pretty well and handle pass protection. He could actually play a little bit more than I expected. Uh, we had said that we didn't think Boston Scott would have the role that he had last year. I think that's probably going to happen. That uh, Jordan Howard's back. But Gamewell's a guy who could cut into that. We'll see what happens. But, John, answer your question. Things are going to be different here. Yeah, Doug Peterson ran a West Coast scheme because that's what terminology told you. But it's not the old school Mike Shanahan offense. This, this thing, this offense will look, look like more Shanahan than Andy Reid. We talk about uh, the turnover in the staff. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got a couple of guys who are left over from when Doug Peterson became the coach. But when that happened, a whole bunch of coaches stuck around that Doug kept a lot of chips, guys. So it wasn't a massive transformation. This is different. This side of Jeff Stoutland, all these guys are newbies. And all the players are going to have to learn the intricacies of not only the system, but how to relate and work with their coaches and a lot. And we're doing so in still a pandemic offseason. Maybe not as drastic yeah. as last year, but a pandemic offseason just the same. How difficult is this transition going to be? It's going to be hard because we talk on Inside the Birds, Jody, about um, this type of offense that they have. Accuracy is always important for a quarterback, but especially so because of the option routes and timing routes and throwing with anticipation and timing. This is going to be 
challenging uh, for Joe Flacco, who will be the backup, and Hurts for uh, who's going to be the starter. Uh, this is this is going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It, it, not getting on the field, and, and and don't forget, right now, unless they sign a veteran receiver, the top five projected receivers for this, fo- this football team will be 25 years or younger. This has not happened before with the Eagles, really going back over a decade. This is going to be new, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you're asking younger players to learn a new offense that's probably different from what they've learned. It's definitely different, Jody, uh, than the Doug Peterson offense. So it's a great question. And I know, you know, we're hearing all these stories about, oh, the Eagles don't think they're, they're ways away. They might be a playoff team. I mean, okay, but I don't see that at all. Yeah. I was fooled in 17. I'll be the first to admit it. I didn't see that coming, what we, we wound up happening, what we saw. But this is a team that's in transition. The Eagles could say whatever the heck they want to say. We all know where this team is going. This is a transition year for this team. And by the way, they're going to be very, very young, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, and one of the things about having young players, and I think a fair criticism, Adam, of, of Doug Peterson's staff was developing players. I don't yes. think it was great the past yeah. couple of seasons. Yeah. So yeah. from your intel around the league and Jeff's as well, uh, what do you think of the staff from a developmental standpoint? Can they get these guys? A lot of them, you know, talk about the receivers. Forget about Devontae Smith. Jalen Rager, you got to get back uh, on the right track. Even yeah. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Travis Fulgham. You mentioned how young that this receiving group is as a whole. Quez Watkins, Sean Hightower, a lot of young receivers. How is this staff thinking? Are they going to be better developing players? Yeah, it's funny you say this, John, because this is something we brought up on Inside the Birth for the final two years of Peterson's uh, tenure with the Eagles is the lack of player development. We We don't have time to go through every position, but if you really looked at the final two years of Doug's Peterson's tenure, very few players were developed. Um, um, it's just a fact. Now, there was a knock from a team source that said that there was too much self-preservation from the coaches, not a lot of willingness to play certain players. Um, the Georgia's pull and push, John, as you know, with front offices and coaches. Front offices want the guys to play, the young guys to play, and the coaches sometimes want older players to play or guys who just get it, and they're not going to stand for the mistakes. And I get both sides. But to answer your question, what I had heard uh, from a source who's close to Sirianni, who coached with him and with the Colts, is player development is going to be big with him. And there are two things that he does that's really good. You know how uh, coaches talk about competition? It's just a buzzword when they yeah. come in. This is actually the way that the guy is. Uh, this source has been every, writing everything he's told me so that he will not stand for guys not competing and he's going to get in their face. And one of the things that really hurt Doug Peterson is the lack of accountability with his players. They took advantage of him sometimes. He didn't hold him accountable enough. 17, he did. When there was pressure on him, I think he felt the pressure to, to improve. But the lack of, of pressure on the players to be better was a problem. And his ability to connect with people and players. Another thing this person told me is that he's really big on connecting and getting to know people. It's not fake. It's actually, it really means a lot to him. And their coaches, by the way, he coaches his coaches. Another thing that's underrated for coaching is the ability to reach your coaches and get on them. There was a lack of accountability with the, with this coaching staff in the last couple of years. And I'm going to call it out like it is because this came from some pretty good sources. This this has got to be better. Uh, Doug Peterson, for all that he accomplished, things got away from him in certain areas. And I, I don't think he really realized that, but uh, certain people close to the situation did. Adam, I'm going to ask you to tap into your sources and sure. uh, look at your football crystal ball, as a matter of fact. Uh, John and I both agree that Landon Dickerson was the most intriguing, debatable, and potentially season-turning pick 
that Eagles yeah. made in this past draft. We all know the story, as many injuries as he's had, but people love his game and love his attitude. And if he can stay on the field, he's got a chance to be great. Well, how about as soon as things start? Let's say your sources on the Eagle offensive line tell you, and you don't get a chance to see as much workout time as you used to. It is the COVID NFL. So you can't judge for yourself how good this kid looks. As soon as he shows up, you get word, your sources tell you, oh, this guy's a beat. We can't get around him. His own teammates who are working against him in practice go, he's a mountain. We can't move him. He's unbelievable. I know this is optimistic, but sometimes we go there. Mm-hmm. Um, if yeah. that's the case, is he redshirting this year anyway? The Eagles you know, have they, a starting center. They yeah. got two starting guards. What are they yeah. going to do if he's their best offensive lineman um, in camp? I, I would be shocked because the guy's coming off an ACL reconstruction that just wouldn't yeah. compute. Um, I'll say this. I teams tell me without the injuries, of course, you can't take them away. But if you're just basing on tape, character, and competitiveness, he's a top 20 player. Um, Moshe and I heard that based on our sourcing, there were basically 17 first round grades for this draft from teams we spoke with. That means that if you just grade on, on whatever your grading scale is, the, the, the other 15 players should be second round picks, but 32 picks have to be made. He was somewhere around that 17 number. This guy is an absolute superstar and a talent, but and in competitiveness and leadership, but you can't take away those injuries. I, I, Jody, I don't see him being ready for week one. I'd be shocked. I mean, that, you never say never in this business. I've learned my lesson with that. You just All right, you, then you, let, let me yeah, uh, restate my it. question. Yeah. Week 10, let's say the Eagle offensive line play is not bad. It's not great. Okay. Better than it was last year because guys are actually staying on the field. So that should make it better. But it's not like they're dominant. Fully. But those Adam, are the, no, those making the call have we're to Jody. realize he's right, better than the guys Jody. who are playing Adam, right now. So what I'm do they do? In a different direction. I don't know where Jody was going. There he uh, is. Week there 10. Is. There we go. Yeah, he's back. Week 10, Landon Dickerson's ready to go. Offensive yeah. line, I think, is not playing well. Is that where you were going, Jody? Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, you put one of the things we've seen with quarterbacks, Adam, Carson's upset with Jalen. Aaron Rodgers is upset with Jordan Love. Russell Wilson's upset for other reasons. But nonetheless, Jason Kelsey and Brandon Brooks got to know, guess what? Glenda Dickerson is replacing one of them in 2022. How does that affect the psyche? Well, Landon Dickerson, just for the record, was drafted to replace Kelsey. That's 100% what the thought process was. Now, that would be interesting, John, if we want to move this forward here, extrapolating the information. I can't see them benching Kelsey. I just can't. I, I it would have to be. I understand it's a new coaching staff. Now Statlin's his own line coach. He was retained. Yeah, I'd be shocked if they did that. Now, strangest things have happened. But remember, Brandon Brooks. Uh, we'd reported a year ago that to keep an eye on his contract because yep. the yeah. reason why he was going to be back this season is because he had an advance guarantee on his contract. His, his base salary is fully guaranteed a year in advance for the season, so he's going to be on the roster. He was not going to be cut after the season. There's no more guaranteed, fully guaranteed money. So I, I I assume this will be Brandon Brooks's last year, and we know about his injury history. Great, great guy. What an amazing career in a Frisian acquisition in 2016 for the Eagles, but he's missed a lot of time. Uh, I would think Dickerson would go there. Isaac say model, Eagles love him. I don't know yeah. what is out there. He's been one of the most amazing stories. I, I never thought he was going to make it. Let me just tell a quick, a quick story here. Isaac say model. You know, six, uh, 17, the Super Bowl year, 
the word I was receiving was it wasn't good. He was not super confident himself, wasn't practicing well. Uh, they didn't think he was going to be the guy. And then it was right when we started Inside the Birds, our first group that we put out is that he's made this career turnaround. He's super confident. They think he's going to be a breakout player. He was. Uh, look, he's never going to be a pro bowler. He's on that periphery of it. He's just a step below. He's not perfect. Yeah. He'll have two to three games where you go, what just happened here? That's why he's not a pro bowler. But he's a solid football player. He's been, yeah, I don't, I, again, you're asking me this in May. I mean, things could change in five months. But, uh, you know, we, there, this is going to be a fun offensive line because you got the three older guys and then you got Jordan Mailata, who's got a chance to be an absolute star. This kid is uh, pretty interesting. Now, Andre Dillard, I got to go that route. Yeah, go there too. Jordan, Jordan Mailata. I mean, it is what it is. The Eagles moved up. They didn't do a lot of work, homework. I think that was a mistake on Andre Dillard. Yep. Uh, they didn't think he'd be there. And all of a sudden, he started to fall a little bit. And they said, let's go up and get the kid. Um, is it time to give up on him? Or is it going to be a legit competition between Andre and Jordan Mailata? And I will say this, Adam, because Jordan can play both sides. So Jordan fits in better as the swing tackle than Andre. I don't think you want Andre to be that backup swing tackle. So how does that play into it? Yeah, it's a good, really good point, John. I hadn't thought about that because Dillard is, is really not the strongest guy physically. Yeah. Uh, with my lot of the knock on him is he doesn't use his girth or strength always. He, he needs to get a little bit meaner and he, he started to last season. Um, it, it'll be a technically a competition because they didn't trade Dillard during the draft. I'm not saying he was, they were trying to trade him, but, it would not have surprised me if they did, because Jordan Mailata is the future at left tackle. That's kind of what I've known for a while. Now, unless Mailata has a bad training camp, which is not anything we could foresee, it's going to be Mailata, and then Diller will be his backup. Um, Jack Driscoll probably will be the backup right tackle. He needs to get stronger physical. The Eagles like him a lot. It was a, sort of a good find for them in the fourth round. He also, if they ever get strong enough to play guard inside, that's that also something that he can do. But Mailata is one of the things, John, you know from going to practice, I remember his first practices in 2018. He had no idea what he was doing. Oh, Literally, yeah. the guy. Remember, put on bro, a helmet. <laughs> I'm just going to say, John. Yeah. The first time he put a helmet on was for the yeah. team pick. Like they take a picture of yeah, you, yeah. you know, trying to figure out uh, what helmet size he was. I just uh, and then I remember um, later in a practice, later in practices when he started figuring out a little bit, he did some things you're not supposed to practice in OTAs. He started knocking guys around. I'm like, okay, if this guy could ever figure it out, who knows? And those that uh, the, the Eagles first told me was that Pittsburgh game. They could not believe what he was doing. That was the Pittsburgh and Baltimore games were the two games where no one thought he could do anything because there's no way he could play well against these great defenses, and he did. Yeah. So they want they want to expand his role. It, it would be a shocker if Mylotta's not the starter at left tackle this season. All right, Adam. I want to move off the offensive line. Not all sure. that far though, but off the offensive line. Yep. Just a little to the left, and that would be tight end Zach Ertz, who yep. is, as I noted on my calendar, still here. Every yeah. day that Zach Ertz is yeah. still here, I do a little check mark on my calendar. He's been written off a couple of times over the last matter of days, matter of hours, matter of minutes. He's going to become an ex-Eagle, except he's not. When well, we're in May Zach right Ertz now. going to become an ex-Eagle? Yeah, listen, we're in May right now. I... I st- <laughs> I'm still going to stick with what I said originally. I know people beat me up on it. I still don't see him on the roster in the fall. That was what I said in the end. I don't see it happening. Uh, the issue now is not interest in the player. The interest, the issue is his contract. We, uh, we had a team we reported um, that told us that it comes down to this. Um, they could not make the money work with his contract. Zach's making eight point five million. I don't blame him for not wanting to take a pay cut. That's what his contract, his paragraph five says. That's his salary. The final year is deal. Uh, the issue, though, is if, if for some reason he's on the, the roster this season, 
guys, at some point we're going to have to start talking about that. If we get to August, we're going to have to talk about it because that means they're going to have to do a lot of 12 personnel again. I know that's not what they really want to do, but if you're paying this guy 8.5 million, he's got to be on the field. I still think Dallas Goddard's role is going to grow or not. He's going to grow regardless of versus on the roster. But you know what? You got to play a lot of 12 personnel to, to justify that deal. So let me, uh, follow, let me follow up quickly, John. Thanks. Um, are you saying that because Howie Roseman came out and said what he said after the draft and made the statement about Zach Ertz, we still think he's a quality football player? And- that's just hyperbole. Yeah, uh, they do. That's but you what, know what I, I thought. Mean. But yeah. when yeah. you suggest that his contract is his contract, that makes it sound like the Eagles won't cut Zach Ertz. Is that not well, an option if they can't get anyone who will give them anything in a trade because Zach refuses to renegotiate ahead of time with the team they'd be traded to? you think there's a better chance they bring him back and have him on the team than actually cut him and eat the money? Well, I would say this, and and uh, Roseman was asked by the media, it was actually a good question, I don't remember who asked it, but it was at, about uh, post-June 1 designation in terms of cutting him. Um, he shot that down. I mean, he I can't remember, that. I don't have the transcript in front of me, he kind of shot that down. So that was, by the way, you don't, by cutting the player, you don't get, he's in, he would be ineligible for a compensatory pick, so that, that I'm guessing would have something to do with it. This one is worth, let's sum this up. Let's move this forward. This is worth watching because this is the one trade piece to get a corner. I'm not saying a starting corner. No one's trading a starting corner for, for a 31 year old tight end, which Zach turns this fall. But they also have a cap issue. For the first time in Roseman's career, they have a significant cap issue, uh, obviously because of the, pa- the pandemic mm-hmm. and the, the inability to have the cap where it needs to be. We didn't get the rise in the cap that everyone wanted. So I would watch this cut. This is going to be a fascinating story. If Ertz is still here at the start of training camp, it's going to be a daily question, folks. You know what's oh, coming. Yeah. John knows it's from coming to the yeah, team forever. Yeah. It's going to be a daily question. Zach, Zach's going to be asked. Nick Sirianni's going to be asked. If Roseman does any media, he's going to be asked. Zach, is Zach Ertz going to be here in the fall? It's, it's going to be a daily story because other than that, other than the training camp's battles, what else are you going to talk about? Yeah, too much of a distraction, which is one of the reasons I agree with Adam. He's not going to be here. I don't know when it's going to happen, Jody, but it's going to happen. I want to ship sides of the ball. Adam Kaplan, NFL insider, inside the birds with Jeff Mosher. Phenomenal job there. Uh, Sirius XM. We got the Adam Kaplan show on Twitch, too. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I forgot. Oh, yeah, I just did it this week. I I just want to say one thing. I cannot believe the Eagle fans rating that thing. (laughs) It's... um, we started last Friday, uh, yeah, last Friday on Twitch. Uh, also, Trey Wingo and Mark Schlereth are doing a show. Um, some ex-NFL players are doing a show there. But anyway, uh, that show, that one did not have a lot of Eagle fans because they opened it up to everybody. No, we opened it up to everybody. But then last three shows, if I got 100 questions, 80 of them for Eagle fans, it's just comical. They come out everywhere. I get it. It's all good. Yeah, they come out. And yep. and by the way, I also have to say Adam's an old-school wrestling guy. Like Yes. Uh, oh, my God. Him. One of these stories. So, um, I'm going to sneak in. I'm going to sneak in something at the end. But before that, I got to get to the defense. I got to get to Jonathan Gannon. Um, I don't see a ton of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Fletcher, Brandon, great players, still playing at a high level, but post-30. I think Javon Hargrave is a pretty good player. But I got to tell you, Adam, I look at this back seven. There is not a ton there. And outside corner? Opposite Darius Slight, that's the one position. Good luck. They didn't address. We're talking about Zach McPherson, a fourth round pick. Yeah. What are they going to do at corner? All right. Let me let me start with this. And we'll see if this I believe this is correct. 
Uh, I, I found this hard to believe, but I, I was told Monday morning that the Eagles did not sign an undrafted free agent corner. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, yeah. but I was told that unless they signed more players, they didn't have one. Uh, John, you're right. If this is probably, and I, I, I say this kindly as, as I can, although it's not going to come out nice, this is probably the worst group of outside corners other than Darius Slay I've ever seen here. I've covered the, the team since uh, 2000, maybe, something like that. This is bad. You're right, John. You nailed it. I mean, if I'm Jonathan Gannon, I know the wide nine is going to be junk. They, they're playing a different front. They're going to play what's called a move front. They're going to the, the 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 Zimmer front is you move guys around a lot to create matchups, yeah. and it's going to be more of a read and react front. We've heard. I don't. I, if the front doesn't get there, they're going to they're, they're probably going to give up an average of two touchdown passes per per game at, at a minimum. This is you're right, John. This is it's going to be ugly, and I understand it. Listen, when you make a decision that you're going to trade up for a receiver and not a corner, this is what you get. You know, this is what you get. They had an opportunity that I'm told they talked to uh, the Bears. Uh, the Bears, yeah, as you know, we're talking just about every team, and they have talked to the Eagles, I'm told. The Eagles did not pursue that that trade. Now, I would tell you that uh, if you traded down, the type of player you would have got where the Bears were picking is going to be significantly different than the player they got in Devontae Smith. That's why I thought it was a smart move not to do that and try to get a first-round pick. I, I don't know how deep in talks, though, I, I should clarify here. I don't know how deep in talks they were with Chicago. I just know that embarrassers they called them and they were pushing every team to do it and the giants did that trade but uh you would not see the kind of player at uh at where were they where were the bears picking 20? at 19 20 uh, yeah you were not going to get anywhere near yeah, the type 20. of player that you got smith but getting back to the secondary look this is the way i see the eagles corners here you've got slay who's the number one corner then after that at outside you got a bunch of f- fours fives and sixes that that is not good enough in today's nfl but this teams will tell you john you know this it's may Let's see what happens in mid to late August. The, the, you, Roseman brought up uh, you know, Ronald before Darby, that. Yeah, yeah Ronald, Ronald Darby. Ronald Darby trade. Yeah. Right, but you can't count on that. Yeah. You can't count on that. That's where I disagree with him. Like, And then and then, the, other than Arts as a trade ship is not going to get you a starting corner, what do you have to trade other than draft future draft picks? Let me yeah. follow up with a cornerback question for you, Adam. Sure. Craven LeBlanc. Yeah. I know some people liked him more than I did. I absolutely know some people liked him less than I did. Uh, of a lot of guys that they've been shuttling in over the last couple of years, I thought he gave you a chance to make a play every once in a while. Any chance? I know it's a whole new coaching staff, too, so the familiarity thing goes out the window. Uh, Craven LeBlanc returned to the Eagles. Any shot? Well, yeah, here's the thing. is He's a backup slot. He just doesn't run well enough. He's a tough guy. Positional versatility. He, he can play safe. He's played some safety. He's not an outside corner. I don't see the point of it unless you – if, if Avante Maddox is to play outside again, I mean, not only would, it buy, uh, would I be shocked by that, that, then I just don't – McPherson, I, I, I mean, we'll see if this turns out to be right. Right now, he's going to have to start on the outside. He, I don't see anyone else who could start on the outside opposite Slayer. They just don't have anybody. Mike Chiquette, uh, Adam. I mean, Mike Chiquette. He, he, <laughs> if that happens, John, you, you know, you ever hear the coaches say the bullseye is going to be on him? Yeah, yeah. It, they would be targeted like 20 times a game. That can't happen. He's a total project, former receivers trying to play corner. That that that, that cannot happen. Now, you mentioned an interesting thing, Adam, with the front, the move away from so much wide nine to a movement yeah. front, Mike Zimmer-like movement front. One yeah. of the things that piqued my interest in the offseason was the move of Gennard Avery to, to linebacker. They drafted, uh, I think it was Patrick Johnson, who was an edge player, Tulane, uh, and they called him a linebacker. Uh, they drafted the kid from LSU, who was a safety. 
uh, called him a linebacker. What does this mean? Am I making too much of this, or or is Gannon going to do something a little bit different, especially at that sand linebacker position, where if you have somebody like Avery or or even it's it's hard to imagine a seventh round pick getting on the field and being yeah. consistent, but nonetheless, that type of player, are we going to see that blitzing multiple front type of player? versus what we we've typically seen with the Eagles. Yeah, it's a good point, John. I do believe that'll happen some in some sort of fashion. Patrick Johnson, I know he's a seventh round pick out of Tulane. He has pass rush ability. That that was the thing. In fact, I know teams had higher grades on him in the seventh round. Uh, Avery, look, he's he's just he's got long arms, but he's short. Other than that Niner game where he's incredible, he hasn't done anything here. It no. just does not work. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to say the same thing with Avery. He's a 34 outside linebacker. He that's the way he should be used. Look, James Harrison, who was also sawed off like Avery. Yeah. Harrison's shorter than, than Avery. Harrison's five foot eleven, and he was a tremendous football player. He's a stand up outside linebacker. I, I don't see it working. I get that they're going to play the strong side. You could use these guys as rushers too, and typically the strong side guy will drop into coverage as well. I, I just think this is a defense that's in transition. Uh, it's it's this scheme is so different from anything I've seen here in a while. It, it's going to be fascinating to see and. One thing I do want to say, though, on both sides of football, this is the theme of our show on Inside the Birds that dropped today. There are so many jobs open. It may not may not be a good thing. But this is an opportunity for a, a Corey Clement type guy to come in there out of nowhere, whether it's an undrafted free agent on, other side, on either side of the football, to not only make the team, to actually dress. There are so many jobs open, t- top backup jobs, receiver jobs open, um, D-line jobs, defensive end jobs, third and fourth defensive tackle jobs. Second, third, fourth, fifth quarter jobs, guys. This is why it's a team in transition. I, do you guys really believe that these can make the playoff season? I don't see it in any way, shape, or form. Well, Not with Nick, that back seven. Not yeah. with that back seven yeah. on defense. Nick right. Sirianni's got to be happy because it sounds like a lot of competition for jobs, which is exactly Correct. which is his right. number one tenant. I I want to take you quickly away from the Eagles into the NFL. Sure. Aaron Rodgers, the saga continues. Uh, and everybody's weighing in with an opinion on it. Is there any chance that they mend fences? I asked you about, can Zach Ertz actually be on this football team? Can Aaron Rodgers, as far as this goes and continues to go, almost gets a wider chasm on a day-to-day basis. Is there any chance of a putting it behind them and reuniting between he and the Packers? Jody, I, I would say this, uh, I, and, and, and John, I would say this. It's similar to the Carson Wentz situation in that the player had an issue with the organization. This player, this quarterback has, has an issue with the organization, but this is not anything new. Here's a good, here's an interesting story that I was told by a source from a team that played the Packers last season. Rodgers goes over to the opponent's defensive huddle. He didn't get in it, but he, he got around it. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing from the source because I checked with him. I had heard this last fall. No, I, I wanted to check with the source last week when this ESPN story came out, and it's, it's what the guy told me. <laughs> He came over to the defensive side of that opponent. He said, get me out of here. And then the, I guess the players went over to the sideline and, and said, you're not going to believe what Aaron Rodgers has said to us. And they didn't know what the heck to mean. The, why would he say that during a game? So that just goes to tell you that that Jordan Love drafting in the first round obviously bothers him. He says what, what coaches call him a super type A personality. He's a brilliant player, super smart, athletic, tough. Going to be a Hall of Fame player, the MVP last season. But he's also not the easiest guy to manage. He had his issues with Mike McCarthy, which people de- detailed for years. Um, 
he's just hard to manage. And, the, the, you know, he is one of the most stubborn players. I know from talking to people been around him, once he makes a decision, guys, he typically doesn't change his yeah. mind. This thing's going to be ugly come August. If he's still on the roster, they're going to take us. If they trade him, he's good. They're going to take a significant cap hit. Um, th this is, and, and the thing is, Jordan Love, like, when they drafted him, it was shocking because no one saw him going anywhere near the first round. Poor guy's caught in the middle of this. And it isn't ironic. You turn the, the page 16 years prior, and it was far from Aaron Rodgers. It's just remarkable what the story's yeah. happening here. Same exactly. Yeah. All right, Adam, can't let you go. And everybody should download Inside the Birds, watch it. Phenomenal podcast with Adam Kaplan, Jeff Mosher, the Adam Kaplan Show on Twitch, Sirius XM, Fox of Words Radio, all over. But pro wrestling, Adam Kaplan. <laughs> So I, I'm going to say, have you seen these A&E documentaries? We had Roddy Piper, Randy Savage. They have the ESPN okay. 30 for 30 guys doing these documentaries. They are unbelievable. So I'm going to tell you right off the bat, if you right. haven't watched them, go watch them. I will. Them. I will. I will. Uh, I saw the dark side of the ring. I've seen those. Those are great. Uh, because I was involved in uh, – Pro wrestling on a very low level. I was just a ring. Uh, I was just a, a, a guy who ring the bell and bring the jackets back. But I told the story about Abdul the Butcher and I, which is just, I got chased <laughs> by him. And I was they didn't tell me that it was I know wrestling's you know put on whatever. Yeah. But they didn't tell me that he wouldn't hurt me. I didn't know. I was twenty five years old. The guys <laughs> chasing me with a pitchfork. I was, <laughs> I, you should have seen me in my face. And then when Big Van Vader, uh, the late uh, Leon White. Leon White. Um, yeah, he uh, gave me shoulder pads, and they didn't tell me that the remote control. And they, they, um, he he hit the remote control, and the sparks came out, and I fell over. This is at the old Philadelphia Civic Center. I actually had a concussion, the only concussion I suffered in my life. Because I, I rocked back and hit my head because I was so shocked. But uh, we're going to tell these stories in June. Uh, the real stories on Inside the Birds when we have a little bit more time. Um, but it was great. And I was actually in the, the original ECW the first year in '96. My job was to pick up wrestlers. That's another story for another time. Did did you actually say Abdullah the Butcher? Yeah. I did. Yes. I know so Abdullah. Larry Shreve, by Larry the way. Larry Shreve. I love the, joint, the names. Has a rib <laughs> joint in Atlanta. Larry Shreve. Exactly right. He's, yeah. I think he's like almost 80 years old, believe it or not. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever told John this story. Uh, usually did a wrestling segment overnight, Saturday nights on WFAN back in the 80s. And it got uh, pretty popular, as a matter of fact. And my partner, Rich Mancuso, actually got us a wrestling gig. We did announcing for an independent show in New York with Nikolai Volkov oh my and God. Abdullah the Butcher as the two headliners. Their days in the WWE over and done with. And uh, Rich was the color commentator. I was the play-by-play -play guy. And I had no idea what the hell I was doing. But I said, Jody, just go out That's there. Awesome. You watch enough wrestling. You can make yeah. it up as you go along, which I did. And uh, we do the match, and it's Abdullah against Nikolai Volkov. And Abdullah comes, they both come out of the ring, and Abdullah goes to grab our monitor. Now, again, <laughs> I, I'm doing this for the first time ever. I don't know all the ins and outs, so I just put my hand down on the monitor in case he doesn't know it's not a prop. That he's gonna oh. pick, it's an actual TV, and he's going to pull it out of the court and use it on Nikolai Volkov. So I didn't know what to do, so I just put my hand down on it like, no, don't <laughs> take this. He looks at me. Of course, he's bleeding because he bled every match. He, ever uh, had. Yeah, he yeah. just shakes his head at me. I still have the jacket with Abdullah the Butcher's blood on it. Oh, <laughs> he bled it, it Abdullah the Butcher yeah, bled on me 
when I Ew. did uh, blow by blow of <laughs> independent wrestling many, many, many years. That is ago. awesome. In fact, I used to yeah. listen to you on overnights at, at the fan with Rich, right? Rich Mancuso. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I, 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 dude, I've known you. I followed your career since the late '80s. Before you came to IP in the early '90s. Here's another trivia question. Do you know that Chris Russo used to be an IP? Yeah, uh, prior to me, a lot of people don't know. A lot of people get don't me know to that. WIP because of that. Because yeah. his agent yeah. was my agent, and that okay. uh, kind of helped to get me to Philly. So I'll. But one, one, what, right. What one thing about wrestling is, and before we get out of here, is that if you're not part of it, they don't tell you that it's going to happen. Yeah. So when I worked for WCW, uh, Gary Michael Gupetta was the um, was the ring announcer, and this is when Flair went to the WWF. He would not acknowledge to me that he left. Because he was a no-show. I was at that famous no-show at the Civic Center. It must have been 400 people. Nobody would go then. But long story short, they would not even acknowledge that he'd left to, to the other organization. And I was a kid, you know, in my early 20s. They would not tell me the truth. It's just so ridiculous how they, they would deny. Because if you're not, if you if you are just a guy in the periphery, they don't let you know what's really going on wrestling. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Couldn't understand K-Fabe. it. K-Fabe. K-Fabe, right. Right, exactly, John. Exactly. Yeah. Adam, great stuff. Appreciate you coming on board. You know we're going to tap into you early and often, my friend. Thank you very much for coming on with us today. Thanks, Adam. Adam Kaplan here with us on uh, Birds 365. Uh, And get used to it. McMullen's a big enough... Gotta get it in. Gotta get it in. As I said, once bled on by Abdullah the Butcher. So I've got my wrestling chops and cred, too. Uh, It is going to pop up from time to time here on Birds 365. We'll come back. We'll give you a football note or two before we put a bow on the show. Stay right where you're at. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, Grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mag. 
the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Coming back for a couple more minutes here on Birds 365, your Mac and Mac guys, McMullen and McDonald. Um, oh, my God, the lighting is going crazy here, Jerry. Okay, well, that's all right. <laughs> you, you, you look fine, brother. Um, and I don't know what the hell happened that yours truly dropped at one point in the middle. I guess in yeah. the middle of a question to Adam. Thanks for picking me up on that one. All right, give me some inside info here. Um, this is a time of year in the NFL, as soon as the draft ends, that you'll see some changing of staffs some organizational changes. Scouts are kept around until the draft because if you let them go before, they take the information, go get a job with another team, and what you discussed and your breakdown and your early boards and the like, you don't necessarily want going anywhere else. Um, Ian Cunningham is a guy who is asking for permission, other teams asking permission to talk to him, the Carolina Panthers. The Eagles have not made any moves with their staff, which means they must have had a pretty darn good draft and they're happy with the guys that they want. Uh, what do you read into that? And do you think this Ian Cunningham thing is going to come through and he ends up with Carolina? Um, you know what? I, I think there's a good opportunity that that happens. They actually interviewed somebody else from New England. The name ex- escapes me as well. But anytime you're in that position, you're getting an interview for assistant GM, Ian's a really well-respected guy. He's essentially Andy Weidel's right-hand man in the Eagles personnel department. Grew up in Baltimore, so to speak, under Ozzie Newsom, just like Andy Weidel, just like Joe Douglas uh, before him. And that's pretty much, uh, it's going to happen. He's going to get a job somewhere in this league. He's that highly regarded. So it wouldn't surprise me if this is the year Uh, They pulled the trigger. You know, I mentioned this on Twitter, despite the outside narrative, and there's a lot of issues with the Philadelphia Eagles and obviously drafting and all that kind of stuff. So I think locally, I think people look at the Eagles and say their personnel department isn't that great. Inside the league, Jody, people like it. And you see Andrew Burry was here. Now, granted, he was in Cleveland, came here for – Essentially, a year went back, GM, Joe Douglas, GM with your team, the New York Jets. People look to the Eagles when they need personnel people. And Ian Cunningham's one of those guys. He's probably going to move on, and it could be this year. Makes Jeff Lloyd look good since uh, during that that press conference. Hey, we got five potential general managers, and everyone wants an Eagle employee to be their general manager. It's a little bit of an overstatement, but there might have been some truth to it that they do have a good overall staff. Howie's put together a pretty good staff. All right, uh, buddy, I think we can call it a show for the day. What do you think? We come yeah, back and wrap this week we tomorrow? Almost dissolved into the universe as the sun crosses in in my uh, little home studio. But we, we made it. We did not lose John McMullen. It looked for a second there like he was going to evaporate. but And we didn't. it's going again. We, we we kept it together. So why don't we put a bow on the show? Wrap this bad boy up. We will be back to finish out the week tomorrow. Uh, don't forget, you got the middle coming up. And don't forget, next week, we got the great giveaway. 
the Devonta Smith jerseys, the night of the schedule release. We will be coming here live here on the Jacob Media Channel, and we'll be giving away those 10 jerseys. So circle it on your calendar now next Wednesday night to be right here on the Jacob Media Channel. That'll do it for Birds 365. We'll be back with you in 22 hours. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media Channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.